Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. And all of you who are worshiping with us online, we're so grateful that you are a part of this service. And all of our campuses are all joining together in this message today. I don't know if you noticed, but the Houston Texans have advanced. Whoa. I mean, convincingly. Uh, C.J. Stroud is the quarterback and... Um, the more I get to know about him, the more I like this guy. This is his first year, but wow, has he been an incredible quarterback. And after the win yesterday, he's done this before, he's asked a question at the sideline and he says, well, before I answer the question, first I wanna give all the glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm just, wow. And you know, really, the coach does essentially the same thing, didn't use the same words, but it, I, it is so great. It is so great to have a team as talented, but whose players love the Lord. And one of those players that they interviewed, Christian Harris, was it, that said, well, you know, our quarterback is a God-fearing man. I mean, he made that statement. I thought, oh, this is just fantastic. Anyway, I am so excited about where the Houston Texans are going and what's gonna come this next week. I, uh, I am really, really proud of the team. There were a group of uh, kids that were between the ages of six and 10 who were asked questions about dating and marriage. Yeah, dating and marriage. And I thought you'd like, might like a, 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 to hear a couple of their responses. One of them, uh, the question was, what do most people do on a date? And Martin, age 10, said, well, on the first date, they tell each other lies. <laughs> and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. I thought he's just 10 and the guy has got this whole thing figured out. Okay, here's a second one. When is it okay to kiss someone? And Kurt, age seven, said, the law says you have to be 18. <laughs> so I don't wanna mess with that. And I'm thinking you need to keep telling Kurt for the next 11 years about the law. Here is a third thing. Do you, how do you decide who to marry? Kirsten, age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're gonna marry. God decides it, and then you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Whoa. And Alan, age 10, said, you gotta find somebody who likes the same stuff as you do. For instance, he's saying, if you like sports, then she has got to like that you like sports. And she has to keep the chips and dip coming. He's a male, this is a male. Then here is another one. What do you think your mom and dad have in common? And Lori, age eight said, they both, they both don't want no more kids. That's probably right. Here's the last one. How would you make a marriage work? And Ricky, age 10, says, tell your wife that she looks pretty. Yeah, I think that's, that's not all, but that's a really good start. This morning, I want us to begin a new message series entitled Re-Engage, how, how the keys to make making a better marriage. 
Next week, uh, Pastor Eric Wooten is going to be with us. Here's a picture of Eric Wooten. Uh, he and his wife, Jill, have a marriage ministry. Uh, it's called Altar Marriage Ministry, A-L-T-A-R, Altar Marriage Ministry. And uh, he was the marriage pastor at the, at the church that Pastor Xavier and uh, uh, Pastor Johnny came from, and he was on their teaching team. He, he is an incredible communicator. He's going to be coming and talking to us about the subject of, of unmet expectations. I think it's every marriage, every marriage I've ever heard about, unmet expectations. What do you do when you have certain expectations that you go into marriage with, and it turns out it's not true, it doesn't happen, it's, it's, it's not right. I think all of us face that, and he's going to deal with that issue. He's going to do an incredible job. You've got to be here next Sunday. And then the next Saturday after that, Michael Jr. is going to be here. He's a comedian. This is a picture of Michael Jr. He is really funny. You know what? The Bible even says you've you got to have laughter in your life. It's health to your bones. And I, you ought to come. Now, we've, got, we've already sold over 1,000 tickets, and I think there's just a few hundred left. And if you're going to do it, you've got to do it. You can sign up uh, for a ticket online. Uh, go to the QR code that you got today and uh, on, on your uh, worship I mean, on your um, student notes, and you'll see on that platform, there's an opportunity to uh, go over to uh, buy tickets, get some tickets, be there. Now, it's, he's a comedian, and it, it, he takes real life issues, and they are, they are not so funny with us, but with him, it is so funny, and he gets us to laugh at ourselves and that sort of thing. But in woven into it, he and his wife are going to be talking about the issue of communication. One of the big problems in marriage and how to improve the communication in our marriage, and they really talk about their story and what they have learned, and I hope that you'll come and be a part of that. And then he is going to be coming back the next day, and he's going to be sharing about how he came to know the Lord. This is on the 28th, how he came to know the Lord and the, the change that God has brought in his life and in his marriage, and you need, you ought to come and be a part of that. That's what's happening the next two weeks. And then the two weeks after that, I'm going to be dealing with some pretty tough issues, some pretty deep water in marriage that I want us to walk through together, and I hope that you'll be a part of this whole series. Now, the truth is, if you're single, this series is for you, because the, you you've probably have questions about, should I get married? And if so, who, who, what kind of person should I be? What kind of person should I marry? And how do I even get started in this? We're gonna be dealing with all these things. It's gonna be a help and a blessing. You need to be a part. As a single person, every, every step along the way, but as a married person, it's my dream that this series will give renewed hope. All of us struggle will give us hope and insights and give us a sense of, of direction. Give us a sense of, okay, now I, I, I see what I need to do, how I can move forward. It seems to me that when you start a series like this, that you need to start with the purpose of marriage, what, what God had in mind. He's the originator of marriage, so what 
did God have in mind? And I, in order to do that, you got to go back to Genesis chapter 2. He's, he's making everything. He's made uh, man. And now, what is it that God says about marriage as he brings Adam and Eve together? And this is Genesis chapter 2, verse, beginning in verse 18. So notice what he says. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 21, so the Lord caused the man to fall in a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And when he brought her to the man, the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now, I gotta tell you, stop right there. Adam's sentence sounds a little strange to me. I've talked to two people who know Hebrew, and I asked them about that, and here's what they said. Well, actually, it doesn't translate well in English. These are the words, but it wasn't the inflection. It wasn't what he was trying to communicate. What Adam was actually saying is, wow, I like her. I'm serious. That's what both of them, independent of each other, said that is actually what he's communicating in the words in the Hebrew that he says. And it makes sense because then, verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and his mother. Wow, I like her. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and clings to his wife, and they too become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There's a couple of foundational things that I want to talk about first, and then I want to get into this passage. But foundational things to marriage that we, we've got to get right. And the very first one is simply this. Marriage is strongest when God is first in your life. Look, I know that it makes total sense when you get married to this person. Now, everything revolves around this person. I get that. I know that. But it is a fatal flaw when that happens, when a young couple or any couple of any age get married, and now everything is about that marriage. Everything is about that person. It is a fatal flaw. It feels right. It seems like right, but it's wrong. Because who has to be the center of you is God, not another person. And actually, making another person the core of your life actually weakens, will eventually weaken the marriage, not make it stronger. No, it is still God that has to be at the center, at the core of your life. What happens uh, in marriages, I've met so many, I've talked to so many, is that, okay, I've got God as a category of my life. I mean, that's got to be enough because so many other people have, don't have God at all, not interested in God at all. At least, at least I've got a room in my heart for God. So I got a room for God, I got a room for my wife, I've got a room for parenting and my career and my money and my time and blah, blah, blah. But see, you are still the center of your life. You're the one that's controlling all, all the parts of your life. The, 
The greatest way to get ready for marriage is to get very deep and serious in an intimate relationship with God. And the way to keep the marriage strong is to have a deep, intimate relationship with God. Meaning that he is the core before and he is the core after the wedding. And if you do that, what you are doing is inviting God's power and blessing into that marriage. That's what you're actually doing. Here's what the Bible says in Philippians, I mean, in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. Well, no, wait, this is what makes logical sense to me. Stop leaning in that. We've been given logic. Logic is good. It's not that God's saying be illogical. That's not what he's saying. But don't just say whatever I naturally think must be the, the end of the story. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways, make him first. And he will direct your path. I'm going to tell you, there's no place you need him directing your path more than marriage. So the deal is this. God says, if you will make me the core, the center of your life, and when you face all the things you're going to face in marriage, I will be there. I will... I will bless you. I will pour my favor upon your life. I will give you the wisdom that you need. I'll give you all the forgiveness you need. I will give you the strength and the power that you need. But you got to make me the center of your life. I want to tell you, when you don't do that, you're actually weakening your marriage. Marriage is stronger when your relationship with your spouse is second not first. Early on in, in my marriage, when, I, when Kathy and I got married, I'd already become a pastor of a little country church. I, we were still in college, and, and I had become a pastor of the church. So here I am in college, and now a pastor of a church, and a few weeks later married, and I don't have a clue at all about my life. I mean, there's all things. I mean, I was working hard and all that. Turn my mic off just a second. <coughs> Thank you. Turn it back on, please. So here I am, and uh, I am at this church, and one of the, the guys in the church, uh, the older guy, is a little country church, and he pulled me aside and said, Mark, I'm so proud of you and Kathy getting married, and, and I want to give you a little bit of wisdom that I learned along the way. And he had two blocks of wood like this, and he says, marriage is sort of like these two blocks, and they're rubbing each other rubbing each other. Now, his blocks were older than these. And he said, what happens over time is that you actually rub grooves into each other and you fit. But it takes a lot of friction to get there. You're rubbing grooves, but you are, it's a lot of friction. And he said, I want you to know as you enter marriage, that you are incompatible and that every couple has incompatibility. You are trying to do the hardest thing you've ever done in your whole life, in the deepest relationship you've ever had in your whole life. He said, there's no such thing as marriage problems. It's people problems. It's not wrong with marriage, it's wrong with people. 
And he said, it's really hard. And all I'm trying to tell you is, make sure that you keep God first because you're gonna desperately need him to learn how to love, to learn how to forgive, to learn how to really grow in the marriage. So the first thing I wanna say to you is, by the way, he was right about everything he told me, you gotta keep God first. And here's the deal, if you haven't done that, Go do it. It means you're going back to God and you're confessing the fact, God, I put you on the sidelines. I'm putting you on the forefront. And I don't know all the way to do that, but I'm gonna learn how. I'm gonna get in your word. I'm gonna grow. I'm gonna make you number one in my life. And when you do, it strengthens literally everything, your business, your finances, your, your marriage. It strengthens everything else in your life. There's a second thing. God intended marriage to be a covenant, not a contract. I want you to imagine two couples getting married, and one couple believes this is a contract. That couple sees this as a if-then, kind of a business deal, hoping it works out. If it doesn't, it's okay. We can always get divorced. It is an if-then. Love is conditional. The marriage is an agreement to coexist as long as we're happy. In other words, if you make me happy, if you meet my expectations, if you do the things that please me, I will try to do the very same things for you. You know what? The truth is, other generations have walked into marriage with this. They would never have said it. But at least this generation is speaking out more honestly about it. It's just a contract. We'll see how it works out. I'm not saying everybody in the generation, but I'm, I'm here, I'm reading this more now than I ever have before. But the other couple sees it as covenant. They bring together all of the relationships that are the greatest, best relationships of their life. There is a wedding and there are vows, V-O-W-S. And in the vows, they say for better or worse, And they have no idea what worse means. But for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And not one person who says it even knows what this all means. But all of this is unconditional love. It's a description, a description of unconditional love. We walk into this marriage not knowing what it actually means because nobody can until you actually start living it. But we walk into this marriage with unconditional love. I know you're not going to make me happy. Sometimes you are and sometimes you're not. You're not going to always make me happy. You're not going to always make me laugh. You're not going to always meet my expectations or even some expectations you're never going to meet. 
Contracts are about self-interest and protecting assets. Covenants are about self-giving and sharing life. A contract is about what you get. A covenant is about what you give. So which of these two couples do you think are going to be more successful? Which one? When the Bible talks about marriage, it talks about a covenant, not a contract. Listen to what he says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14. Why does God not accept your worship? Because the Lord is the witness between you and your wife, uh, the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. This is how the Bible talks about marriage, covenant. And what this verse is saying is, you know what, when we got married, we, we said, uh, the preacher said, we're doing these vows in front of God and these witnesses, it's really true. God is saying, I really was there. I really did hear the commitment. I heard the covenant. This woman that you married is my daughter. This man that you married, this man is my son, he's my child. And you are mistreating my child. A contract has, a, has immediate happiness as the primary goal. A covenant has honor and holiness as the goal. A contract is motivated by feelings. A covenant is motivated by faithfulness. A contract is built on mutual distrust. That's why it's a contract. You don't need a contract if you trust the other person. It, all contracts are based upon mutual distrust. Don't know if you're going to do it, so I'm going to put you under a legal contract. But a covenant is built upon a mutual trust in God to see this through. Pastor uh, Libin years ago was teaching here on uh, marriage and he used this chart. I got his permission and put it in here for you. You could see what I'm talking about. God intended marriage to be a covenant in which both parties had God in first place in their lives. So here's the deal. You got to make sure he is. And if he's not, you got to go back to God. You are the core of my life. And God, I did not enter into a contract. I entered into a covenant. And now there is a third thing. It's the goal. I want to complete the goal. Your goal, God, of marriage, and that is a completion of each other. There's the goal. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God said, I will make Adam a helper suitable for him. And then he made Eve, and he brought Eve to Adam. But he gave to Eve the first title that she had gotten because he, was, he used the word, I am making a helper. But that does not translate in English at all. Because the English definition of helper is not what God had in mind. The dictionary translates helper as a relatively unskilled worker who assists a skilled worker, usually by manual labor. And there's gasps in all, all three, three campuses. 
But that's not what God was saying. In fact, many times God calls himself our helper. And in, there he is in, in uh, Psalm 33. It says, the Lord God is my helper. And he uses the exact same Hebrew word. Doesn't mean the English definition. So what does he mean? In the Bible, a helper is not someone subservient, but someone who helps to complete. And when you read what the Bible teaches about the role of a husband, the role of a wife, and you bring them together, it is obvious the Bible is teaching us that both the husband and the wife are the helper of each other, that we are the completer of each other, that the man and the woman complete complete each other to together form a beautiful picture of what God intended marriage to be. But it's not without bumps and bruises. Now let me ask you to pause right there and let me go to another thing and come back for just a moment. God doesn't intend every single person to get married. You, Jesus mentioned in, in Matthew chapter 19, and Paul mentions again the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that some people it's, are not intended to be married. That, that if you don't need to be married, if you, if, if you can be satisfied and you can, you can commit the rest of your life as a single person to the, to the kingdom of God, then it's good. But he also says, but if you want to be married, that's good too. The Bible has individuals who are pretty incredible who never got married, Jesus being the first that comes to mind. So it's okay. But marriage is blessed by God, created by God, and welcomed by God for anyone that desires. So I wanted to make that statement. Matthew Henry was a preacher that lived 350 years ago, latter part of 1600, early 1700. Matthew Henry is a guy that's been quoted so many times. I've got his books here after 350 years. And listen to what he says about this. He says, when God made woman, he did not take her from man's head to rule over him nor from his feet to be trampled by, on by him, but from his side to be his equal. This is 350 years ago. That a man and a woman in a marriage are equal, to be his equal, from under his arm to be protected, from near his heart to be loved. So what does it mean then for a husband and a wife to complete each other? To complete each other means that where one is weak, the other is strong. Where one lacks, the first supplies the need. Have you noticed that opposites attract? Have you ever, has, have you ever noticed this? If you haven't, you gotta live a little bit longer because it's just true. Magnets, opposites attract, and marriage. Opposites attract. It's a good thing. Now, it doesn't mean that they're opposite about everything. They've got a lot of things that they exactly they think the same way about, have the same opinions about, they are all that. But, but all of us, when we get married, end up marrying someone 
who is stronger in some areas where we're weak, we are stronger in areas where the other person is weak. And that is a great thing because that's part of complementing and completing each other. When Kathy and I got married, we, we felt very much that way. She's got a lot of strengths where I do not have, and I've got a few things where she, she is not as strong. And we complete each other. We have the same opinions about a ton of things, same tastes of things. We, we uh, have the same values of life, the same, the, the same cores of life, but we don't agree on everything. We, we have things we very much disagree with each other on different topics, and we also have differences. When we were dating, we saw these, we thought these were strengths. When we got married, we thought they were strengths. But as time went on, we discovered that from time to time, we would rub each other wrong. And we discovered that we didn't have the same opinion about some things, and we struggled. And there were times in which we would have arguments and fights and we would be pretty upset with each other and then we would kiss and make up and making up was always so great. It was so much better than fighting. And then there would be frustration that emerge again. I think it's part of the dance and we would have frustrations and with each other. And there were things that I think Kathy wanted to change about me, and there were things that I wanted to change about her, and so we would work on each other to make those changes. And neither one of us were at all successful. She didn't change anything about me. No, there were some things I changed to be more compatible. She changed to be more compatible. But I'm just saying, I'm not talking, I'm talking about personality, and there's just, I didn't change. And we, it wasn't for the lack of trying. We both tried, but it just did not work. And one of the greatest moments that happened in our marriage is when we really woke up to that. We got together and we had a pretty serious conversation. And we both admitted we'd been trying to change the other. And uh, highly unsuccessful. So, we made a decision and we said to each other, I accept who you are. I accept you the way you are. Do you know that all that was? It was going back to the wedding vows. I mean, we didn't know it at the time, but that's exactly what was happening. At the wedding vows, we said for better or for worse, we just didn't know what worse really meant, but now we do. And for richer and poor and for um, sickness and in health, in other words, unconditional love. And it was at this moment in time that we now better knew what we were saying. And in essence, this is what we said. We didn't exactly know it at the time, but this is what we... There's some things I don't like, and I yield. And I'm not going to try to change you anymore. I accept you the way you are. It was a great time. It was a wonderful time. Did you know I think marriages that survive, that make it, have to come to this moment, really mean it, and really commit themselves to it. 
Now, does this mean that you never have a fight again or an argument again? No, that's not what that means. I will tell you what it does mean. It means that it lasts much shorter and it doesn't hurt nearly as much. So, um, Kathy and I had a disagreement this, uh, this week and it was all my fault. And uh, I, while it was happening, I sat down and I said, oh man, and I'm preaching on marriage this week. I... <laughs> but it, it didn't last long and we were back and, and that pretty much since that day is what has happened in our marriage. Much more open, receptive, forgiving. I think this is what's intended. I need the strengths you possess. I cannot be what I need to be without you. You're gonna have to tolerate some things about me. I'm gonna have to tolerate some things about you. And this is marriage. So, God in first place and covenant. So then the next thing, the last thing is, well, what is then the central goal? It's to complete. And how do we do it? How do we reach the intimacy of completing each other? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Four key things he says. First of all, you must leave your parents. You must leave your parents. Uh, Charles Swindoll's a guy that's made a real impact on my life in the ministry, and he doesn't know it, but he has. And here's what he says. I didn't put it in your notes, but I was going to read it. In order for the new relationship between bride and groom to flourish and their home to begin correctly, the cord must be cut with the parents. This does not mean abandoning your parents or ignoring or mistreating or cutting off all contact with them. To leave father and mother means to sever the tight, emotionally dependent strings that once provided security, protection, financial assistance, and physical needs. All or any of these ties it brought over into a marriage will hinder the bond of marriage from being sealed. God mentions this first even before he talks about cleaving to each other. As strong as the parent-child bond is, the husband-wife is to be stronger. And this must be the parents willing for this to happen and the child that has left their parents for to be willing for this to happen. And it means for parents to back off. It doesn't mean get out, but it does mean back off. It means that you're not solving all the problems. They're grown-ups now. And they have to solve their own. Now, if your child is physically endangered, that's a whole nother story and you do have to reinsert. So hear me say that. But one of the things, I gotta tell you, I've counseled, I don't know how many couples in which one uh, of, the, of the couple is so enmeshed with a mother or a father, so enmeshed that it is disrupting, it is damaging this marriage. 
And you can't do that. If you chose to get married, you got to leave your parents. You still love them, care for them, you're still involved in their life, but you gotta break the enmeshment that has happened. Cleave to your spouse. The word cleave means to adhere to like skin adheres to bones. It's to stick like glue. He's describing a covenant. Marriage, he's describing a covenant marriage till death do us part. So if you're going to get married, you better really be sure. Become one flesh. It means physical. It means physical. God wants this physical relationship to be there with you, with you and your spouse. But it also means beyond that. It means an un an inseparable union emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. It's talking about unity. Two people, different backgrounds, different temperaments and habits and scars and feelings and sins and parents and gifts and interests. Don't become one overnight. Good grief, that's not possible. It takes a lifetime. And it's okay if it's a lifetime. You're not failing, you're just being human. It's okay to be human. You're not failing, give it the time. To become one flesh takes a lifetime and it's okay. And the last is reach genuine intimacy. And this is Genesis 2.25, and they were both naked the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. And that doesn't translate well for us in English, and people say, well, that's weird, and all that. But it's only because it, it, we translate it in English, but in Hebrew, it comes out differently. So listen, it means to be laid bare, and here's what it means. To be laid bare means to be totally exposed totally transparent emotionally and mentally, all your strengths and weaknesses inwardly and outward to be laid bare in front of another person. They know you. You can't wear masks with them. You cannot hide anything for them. After a while, they know you and still not embarrassed. In marriage, you see the other person in every situation. You see them when they are kind and nice and when they are just flat out mean. You see them when they're right and when they're wrong, when they're strong and when they're weak. You see them when they're grown up and when they are not grown up at all. You see every part of them and yet you accept them. And that's what he means. This intimacy that develops over time is that you see the truth about this person, they see the truth about you, there are no masks, and they accept you. And it may be the only one in the world that actually knows you, and they accept you. Uh, a, a writer wrote a story, and it's a true story she wrote, but she changed the name of the guy that was involved to the name George, so we don't know his name, and, 
but her husband's name is Bill and he worked at a bank. This guy worked with Bill at the bank and during their time working in the same bank together, George got a divorce and he was kicking his heels. He was so excited, I'm free at last kind of thing. I can do whatever I wanna do and he did and he was so um, intimately involved. I got kids in the room and he was so involved and he was bragging about it and all this stuff with the guys and he was talking about how great life is and boy, I can do what I please and come and go as I want and he's just bragging about it over and over. And then a day came, he walked into Bill's office and closed the door and he said, could I, could I talk to you about my life? And he said, sure, come on in. And he sat down across the desk and he said to Bill, I'm so miserable. I know I've put on a show, but it's not true. I'm so miserable. I thought it was going to be one way, and it wasn't that way at all. I mean, for a while it was, but it got old, and I feel so meaningless. And he said, I'm so lonely. I don't know what to do with myself, and I... I, everything is so shallow in my life. And he said, I, you know what I really want? I, I just dream about this now. If only I could come home at the end of a day and smell dinner cooking and be greeted by a woman that loves me and to kiss her and have dinner together and sit and talk to her and have someone I could share my life with. And to go to bed at night, and she's there, and the next morning she's there, and she kisses me, and I kiss her, and I love her, and she loves me. And he said, the truth is, I'd give anything for that. And I just, I just thought that story was so great. I want you to, to stop and to think about God at the core, about a covenant, about marriage is hard, but it should be hard. It's the deepest relationship with another human being. It's the way, it's the way it was designed. And it's okay if you're struggling because the truth is no matter how many smiles you see in small group, everybody has their moments. and that you can come to a place of acceptance. And you can come to a place of genuine, mature love. And I challenge you to open your heart to it. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and, oh God, the, the truth is it is hard for every marriage, but it is filled with joy as well and so many great moments and so many things we get to share. And sometimes we only talk about the hard, but the truth is it's wonderful. It is glorious. It is so fulfilling to be able to build a deep relationship with another human being and children that come and all that comes and to be able to grow old with another person and know them and them to know us. And 
it is a wonderful thing. It is a great gift from you. So Father, help us to learn how to do this hard thing and help us to go back to the beginning of making you Lord and starting back there again. Bless us in our marriages, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.